We are here with another phenomenal guest, and this is one that I know is going to have you scratch your brain a little bit, probably have you maybe reflect on some of your own thinking and mindsets, as well as I'm sure we can all relate to uh, some of these ideas that have come out in our guest work and her latest book, which I'm really excited to dive into. I feel like she was taking all my internal struggles professionally and personally, and this book is captured as an interactive uh, guide. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about uh, the book Change Ninja um, by Tammy. So, so Tammy, let me send it over your way. You can do a better job in introducing yourself to me. I'll let you introduce who you are, what you do, what you got going on, and all that good stuff. Brilliant. Thank you. So yeah, Dr. Tammy Watchorn, I have just, uh, as you've said, published my first book, which is an interactive book for change managers but I think it applies to anyone who's trying to do anything. Um, my background is I worked in the National Health Service for many years in the UK um, which most people are familiar with. Trying to lead change it's bureaucratic, um, low on risk, high on governance, all those things that are completely opposite to the word change and yet had um, change management roles whether it's projects, programs, leading innovation strategy, all of that stuff. Uh, and I um, hit brick walls quite a lot, um, which I'm sure many people do, and I had lots of funny stories. They weren't funny at the time, um, but they became funny. You know, you can turn stories into really good anecdotes and just captured some of that as I went um, and, uh, try, you know, how to, how to lead change, how to, how to change people is mostly the thing. So it's I really captured my learning. I learned from my learning. And I now um, work for myself. I decided that it would be much easier to lead change from the outside, and it is. It's much harder to lead change when you're working on the inside because people don't listen to you, they don't respect your thoughts because you're just one of them. So leading it from that, so I still work mostly for the health service, leading on change, training people in change management, uh, ways of working and methodologies, facilitation of workshops, using Lego Serious Play quite a lot, which I know you do. Um, bringing in neuroscience so I've just pieced together all the things I've learned over the years into a really nice way of being able to support people who really want to do some good stuff particularly in the public sector but are facing the same challenges that I faced and hopefully the book will help as well with that. Yeah and I I really appreciate the book um, because I I bet at least three or four times I stopped and whoever was in the room next to me I'm like yeah, finally, someone who's just like calling the spade a spade and speaking the truth and besides trying to create some cute little phrase that works around what we're really trying to say and that, you know, all the frustrations that we know we, uh, we all face to some degree, no matter our situation and our job and occupation. And before I get into some questions I have about the book, when I was looking on your website and looking at all that you do, it's, it's, it's I'm really fascinated by it. And in particular, I love the neuroscience piece and that in and of itself could probably, I mean, well, you have a whole course and program on it uh, yeah, that goes yeah. into all that. But for the for this piece, my question that, that I have, and I'm just from more from your perspective is, 
like we, the whole world had no choice but to change. And I don't want to like keep bringing up COVID. It's an easy example, but it's easy in the sense that everyone can relate to it in some shape or form. And we had to change. Like we, we just life happens. I work in public education, K-12 system. And yet I feel like even through all that, where we had to make lots of pivots and adjustments, and now here we are trying to get back to whatever quote unquote normal is. Like, I feel like change is harder than ever before. Almost like we were so nimble and we learned what worked and didn't work. And I feel like now there's times where I like, I'm like, I feel like I'm not in quicksand. I'm like, have like cement blocks. Like yeah. the system was slow moving. We had to expedite. And now we're back to like even a slower speed. Now I don't know how to connect that to that neuroscience. And I know there's a whole part to that, but as, as you're working with groups and your experience, like, like, what is going on? Cause you would, in my brain, I'm like, this was the greatest opportunity. We can keep moving forward with, we have an opportunity, a clean slate to do what we know works. And I yeah. feel like we're, oh. Yeah, like, and it's, it's really frustrating. I think we missed a massive, massive opportunity to really change what we do. So we, you know, we all got sent home. We all got Zoom or Microsoft Teams, things that we've been asking for for years. But it was just the technology we got. And we're living in a world of fear at the time because there's this pandemic and we don't know what's going to happen and, you know, families. And so there's all of that going on. We can now work from home, which some of us have been wanting to do forever. But instead of using it as an opportunity to shift how we worked and think, right, we've got a chance to start again. How do we maximise this opportunity? You know, it's a crisis, but how do we make it an opportunity? I think what we most of us did was we took all of the bad behaviour from the old world and we transported it into this video world and we made it even worse. Mm. You know, in the old world, you would have gone for a coffee with somebody or chatted to someone in the corridor. Now we're saying, I need to talk to you. Have you got an off an hour for a meeting? And we're filling our day with even more meetings that are back to back and not taking any time for reflection. On top of that, no one's been trained really in how to work virtually. And to work virtually, to facilitate a meeting, to chair a meeting, is completely different face-to-face. -face. I know very few people that have actually invested in their staff for learning how to work in that way. So again, the bad behaviours that you would have had in the real-world meetings are exacerbated by this world. The quiet people are even more quiet. They're on mute. The cameras are off. They're playing with the cat, whatever. They're not, in, they're not engaged. So we're, even, we're disengaging people even more. And then you've got, and there's plenty of research around this now, you've got the whole Zoom fatigue, as it's called. Looking at yourself all day is a really bad thing from a neuroscience perspective. Where Our brains are not designed to look at ourselves. Mm. You know, in the old world, you probably looked in the mirror three times a day and then not for very long. Now you're looking at yourself all day and you're looking at everyone else all day. Think about when you're in a meeting, you look at the person who's speaking or you're taking notes. Now you've got a sea of faces and all of the emotions and all of the stuff. So your brain is constantly going, this is not right. It's in the fear state. So it's shifted us, it's allowed us flexibility and freedom, but our brain's been in a permanent fear state for two years because not only did we have the pandemic and you know, now we've got the environment and all the digital currency, all of the stuff that's going on. And we've got this immediate, our brains recognize this immediate threat all the time of looking at each other not being familiar with this way of working because it's technology based and we haven't learned how to do it in a way that's brain friendly. So I think we've wasted a massive opportunity and we could have really shifted 
really shifted how we worked longer term. And I don't think in the main we have. And right. we're all just living in perpetual fear. Yeah. Without even knowing it. But right. you know, that's right. what your brain's doing. Yeah, yeah. And you just as, as you're as you're talking, it just makes me think about conversations, you know, the world I live in is classrooms and educators and admin and things of that nature. And we keep coming back to this idea that like the, the students themselves and I would say the adults actually are are just equally in this like I don't want to say we're socially emotionally behind, but like the anxiety, um, being able to 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 focus, um, and some of that I just if you're talking about this fear state, like I also wonder, like I don't know that we've also given ourselves still even to this point enough time to process what happened during that, where maybe we yeah. maybe we did make some mistakes, we lost an opportunity, but now we just plunge everybody back, expecting them to like recalibrate, and you know. We, we do like, like with adults, if I do like, like a full day workshop, not that they were highly engaged with goosebumps, you know, from, from morning to, to afternoon, but now, man, you barely, you get to like lunch, you got maybe a 45 minute window and adults are done. And yet here we are with kids now even longer. Yeah. And it's, there's, there's a lot, like just the emotional state is, is so high that you yeah. know, it's hard to learn and it's hard yeah. to change and it's hard to do those things. And so there's yeah. a whole nother layer. I feel that's like surfacing on top of, we haven't even processed what yeah. didn't work. We, ha we haven't taken time to reflect. It's a different world to, you know, we, who, who even knows when it was? We all like, it was two <laughs> or three years ago, you know, it was actually over really in the main quite a while ago, but it's still the focus of lots of conversation. And there's still like the during lockdown and before COVID. And it's what, is it two years, three years? I don't know. We've lost track of time, I know. but we've not, we've not, it's a different world. And I don't think the majority of us stopped and said, what does this new world look like? And what can we do in it? And what's the good stuff that comes out of it? But when you're in the, the in the fear state, emotion overrides logic. And if we're all living in that fear state without even knowing it, then emotion's always going to win. So you can't do the, hang on, let's all sit down. <laughs> let's get a blank sheet of paper and work out what we want to do logically. Because right. <laughs> we're all going, shit, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, thinking about that and, and segueing into your book, I, I love the, the approach of the book, The Change Ninja, because it's a kind of choose your own adventure style. And I have to admit, when I was, when I got to the first decision, I was plagued in my brain, even though like, it's not like I was like anything yeah. was going to happen. I'm like, okay, do I answer what I think the right answer is? Or do I answer what I know I would do? And like, here I was toying with this very thing. Um, and I toyed with what I would do, even though I knew it wasn't the right answer. And, and it was game over rather quickly. Um, <laughs> you I, died I, in chapter one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was so great in terms of like, boy, and you continue to work through the book, that uh, idea of like, I feel like for the most part, a lot of us inside internally, we know what needs to be done. Yet there's all these external things and, and internal things that come to that kind of freeze, freeze us up. And and one of the questions that I, that I, I wanted to ask you, because the whole book is on, change and types of change and the phenomenal tools and things that you have been able to gather is from the education world again I think about we can always ground ourselves in why like mm -hmm. we know why we're doing what we're doing like we can you know we want to do what's best for kids and businesses whether it's the bottom dollar or creating good culture or good product whatever the why is but I, I'm starting to like 
feel that that's where the issue comes about with some frustration and understanding the change is there's why and then what is the actual problem we have to solve yeah. and I wanted to I didn't and maybe I missed it. I didn't think that was like it wasn't the goal of your book but I'm, I'm, I'm interested on, on yours you're working with these companies and people how do you help them like separate that because I feel like what I want to tell people is like that's actually not a problem what you're telling me is the why and that's good but we're not and therefore we're putting together as you, there's part of your book talks about like we put together all these things that you know the client wants all these things done in the workshop you know these these things yeah. versus yeah. what's truly the issue at hand and I think that part of this education slowing down is just that like here's our why we want to be a good school we want kids to learn yeah. and then here's a list of things that we're going to do but not really yeah. focusing on the what problem the problem yeah I, I it's really really hard to get people to focus on the problem because it can you know if you and i push it a lot i every time we're trying to do something and sometimes we need you know we need to digitally, digitally transform why do you need to digitally transform what is the problem that you're trying to fix mm. and in a lot of cases nobody's really thought about it we've just decided that we need because the world's telling us we need to digitally transform but so you know you get caught up in it and it's like but why why do you need you know we might just need a room that we all get around and smoke you know smoke pipes and send signals that might be all we need to collaborate what is it that you try what is the problem and there's a tool in the book called gap leap which is one of professor eddie obang's tools and the focus is you know what is the gap between where we are now and where we're trying to get to and that pushes and just keep pushing that you know it's not that we need to have microsoft teams or zoom rolled out it's not that we need to change our culture if you need if you say it's a culture change thing why do you need to change your culture what's wrong with the culture you have right now and if you can really push that and i would say i think it's the einstein's quote of if i had an hour to solve a problem i'd spend nine um 55 minutes working out what the problem was right right because you'll come up with different answers because you'll be answering a different question mm. and quite often you'll come up with a quite simple answer because you're trying to focus on an actual problem that probably has quite an easy answer as opposed to you know one of the one of the things in the health service that comes up a lot is around and i think it comes up in the states and uh you know in the west really is around linked medical records and there's this assumption that if we have a linked medical record, then it will all be fine. But nobody says, why do we need that? What is the actual issue at stake that requires everyone's records to be all connected? Because we know that can be done. Right, you right. Know, go, to, go to Facebook and they can tell you absolutely everything <laughs> about you. So it's done, without, even without our permission. It probably already exists, yeah. It does already <laughs> exist. We just haven't paid Cambridge Analytica to give us our own files back. So it can be done. It's not technically impossible, but we keep getting stuck with it because we're not really answering the question that needs answering. So keep pushing. I would say if you facilitate or chair meetings on this, just keep saying, why, why is that important? And you'll be annoying. Yeah. <laughs> People get really fed up because quite often they don't know. But for me, that is you need to keep pushing that in a, in a way that's safe. Because otherwise, you're just going to end up delivering something that nobody really wants and waste all your time and energy and be even more stressed because you'll end up with a rubbish thing at the end of it. That's right. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Why, does, why doesn't this thing work? Because it's not answering the question that you started <laughs> off with. Yeah, so as I think about that, you know, and I think about that, you, you keep pushing and trying to peel back the layers to help people get to that, that fundamental problem or that thing that really needs to be tackled and, and regardless of your role, you know, 
and and you start to get that that resistance and that pushback you know the, yeah. you're, you're going to start to hit those emotional triggers by either people in charge or or just people in the room because maybe they're not they've not been pressed on that before it's usually like a smile and nod and like we're just going to do the thing we're all going to check in and check out and you know and then we'll go complain later about why nothing changes so how do you how do you handle it maybe you personally but also maybe you are like just thinking about you as whoever the leader might be and, and pushing those conversations where like it doesn't start to feel almost like like, like, like you're being attacked personally because yeah. you're trying to push that issue because that's hard too. Like if you keep asking and asking and asking then that resistance at some point, it does kind of smack yeah. because yeah. there's an emotional charge. Um, you know, how do you, how do you work and navigate that? I mean, that, that's really tricky too, but I think it's an important thing that's probably. Yeah, it absolutely really is because if, if somebody's going against you, your instant response is to fight back, dig in your feet, fight your battle, which is the wrong thing to do because then it does become personal. And then your emotion overrides your logic. You know, if you start fighting with someone, fighting with your other half, and they tell you to calm down, it's the worst thing they could tell you. And you're in that situation then, so yeah. no one's gonna win. And it's really hard not to respond if it's something you're really invested in. So there's, there's a couple of things I do. One is, before I would facilitate something like that, I take myself out of the room, whether it's, you know, uh, literally out of a room if you're face to face or going on to mute and switching your video off if you're on camera and put my facilitator head on so it's almost like I'm acting in a role of a facilitator it's not about me so that can give you much more sense of perspective of what's going on in the room without getting emotionally involved and I think that's really important to do yeah. it's hard to do but the more you do it the easier that is you step out of yourself and you step into a different role so it's not about you and you can watch your own behaviors as well much more then because they're about the facilitation of the conversation and not about what you think and your opinions. Um, so there's there's that. The second thing I, I do, and it was a bit of, it was one of those eureka moments. There was somebody I didn't get on with at work at all. We quite liked each other, but we clashed and clashed and clashed. And I was going to a meeting with him and I was preparing for this clashing. And then I thought, he's preparing for the clashing too. So we're gonna go in ready for battle without yeah. even like thinking about what each other wants. Mm. And you know, we've both got our own stuff going on. So I went in with a, I just went in instead and thought he's got things going on. I don't know what's going on in his head, might be having trouble at home, whatever. Do you know, I, I have no idea where he is just now. So I treated it in a very different way. And we ended up having a really, really good conversation. And he actually paused at one bit and he's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why are you not fighting with me come on <laughs> but so I think you know just everyone's got their own shit going on and nobody wants to do things out of badness there are a few people but most people want to do the job well want an easy life don't want so everyone's in the same situation as you and if you can accept that and and you know if someone's going against you try and think about it from their perspective it just slows your own emotions and reactions down as well so right. you can actually take stock of it and your brains then stay in the logical frame in the towards state rather than the away fear state of emotionally responding. Yeah. So it gives you much more time. It gives you, I don't know, um, there's, there's, there's a bit in the book around slowing down time. If you stay in that towards state and away from the fear, you can slow down time and you can logically go through things in your head and make decisions really quickly before you respond because you've taken the emotion out of it. Yeah. Um, as soon as you get into the emotional state, 
be a ghost. <laughs> right, right. That's so vital. I mean, as you as you're as you're talking through that, you know, it's it it kind of lends into another part of of the book that you talk about and the idea of space, right? And sometimes we create um, I'm going to call them invisible rules, and and if the space doesn't feel creative or doesn't feel like innovation, and and, and I'm not talking about like we have to get Pinterest worthy or have you know, foosballs tables and some of the stuff we see like on, on social media, but different than just like kind of beige poopy walls, you know, <laughs> kind of feel this blah, you know, like as, as I'm thinking about that place to slow down too, if we kind of also had not just a mental place to kind of reframe our brain, but also some physical spaces too. And, yeah. and, and what are, you know, as we think about the spaces and I, I like that part because that's obviously important in, in education too, of how do we create these different kind of learning modalities and the spaces. I mean, we can't yeah. go build a brand new classroom. That's not within the budget, but we can tangibly move things around and move kids and shift things around. But what are some like other unintended messages or invisible rules just in a general sense that, that maybe kind of creep up that that stagnate change or or create that resistance that that maybe we're not thinking of. And maybe you can you can even talk about the one that I just brought up as well. But I don't know if there's other things because I feel like just like you said, nobody wants to make the job harder. I don't I don't I really don't feel people are looking for um, to be adversarial. Um, I don't like the the most most people have a good place in their heart and they want to do the right thing yeah. we want things to be yeah. we want life to be as easy as possible we're like water like the yeah. path of least resistance but yeah those confrontations still exist and so <laughs> you know what are some of those other things that maybe we haven't thought about so yeah the, the, i think physical space is really really important you know if you go to a rest posh restaurant or you go to a nightclub you're going to behave differently the environment's does change your behavior so having goods you might not be able to paint your rooms and put in table tennis tables but you can take away the tables and just have chairs or get people standing you know it doesn't need to be big stuff but changing the environment will change how a group of people interact and behave with each other um sorry my uh, phone was ringing um in terms of invisible rules, I work on something called Cube, cube.cc, which is a virtual space. And I talk about it in the book. I've been working in that space for about eight, nine years now. And people think it's technology and software, and it's not. And it's another trick we've missed. Because people say, how is it different to Teams? But it's about the invisible rules of how we work together and behave together. And it's been designed based on neuroscience and human behavior by Eddie Obeng. So it does that. But some of the really simple things you can do, and they don't need to be a cube thing. So I teach this for, for off-cube facilitation as well, is when I'm doing a workshop, um, I don't ask a question. I will put a question on a board and I will ask people to write up their thoughts on it by themselves and put it on the board. So you can do this face-to-face -face on virtual whiteboards or on cube. This way, everybody is writing at the same time doesn't matter if you're the introvert or the extrovert. It doesn't matter if you're the most senior person in the room or, you know, you're the cleaner. Everyone in the room has been given a question and to put their thoughts up at the same time. Whilst you're doing that, you can read what everyone else is doing. So you can, you're saving time because you can read more quickly than, than talking. If that opinionated person, there's always one, 
<laughs> knows the answer, but it, it isn't is. the right answer. But it takes you off down the wrong way. If they're, if they're the only person that puts that up, no one's going to give it any attention. So you can eliminate it without it being eliminated and someone being told to shut up. Okay. It quiets down the extrovert. It brings up the so It makes level playing fields. You're creating a culture of equality. There's no hierarchy. Everyone can engage in it. The second thing I would do then is, and I'd use one of the tools on Cube, so one of Eddie's frameworks, which will sit behind. I'll read through it or I'll get someone to read through it to see if it makes sense. I would then check in with everybody in the list. I normally do alphabetical. So again, it's not about seniority. You know, Aaron, what do you think? Jim, what do you think? Jane, what do you think? So everyone knows they're going to have a say so they don't talk over each other. And then you can make any changes that way. So really simple things right before we talk, read through, spin casting, as we call it. You've yeah. taken out the hierarchy. You've aligned everybody because you've gone through it and everyone's had an opportunity to agree or make any changes. So when you leave that session, everyone's on the same page. They've all, be, they've all told the same story. A bit like with Lego Serious Play when you do a yeah. shared build. Everyone tells the same story. And everyone's had a voice. Everyone's had an equal voice. So you start to get really creative thinking because it's quite often the quiet people that don't speak up that have got really good ideas. So you start to focus on you. And when you bring three good ideas together, again, as you do with Lego Serious Play, you get an amazing idea. When you bring in all that knowledge, you're creating new knowledge. So I think there's some of the invisible things that you can do really, really quickly and easily to shift behaviours in a group of people. And it will nine times out of ten avoid those conflicts that then come Rather than, you know, everyone having an opinion, someone writes it up from a bit of flip chart paper, it goes back out, everyone disagrees with it, you know, better off, you're worse off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no I, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because it's, those are such simple tactics, but yet powerful. And they're things that anybody can, can, can use, you know, and in order to, to increase their, their craft and their way of leveraging voice across that board. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. And you brought up Lego series play. So I have to act, I'm a Lego nerd. I mean, I love it myself. And I've been trying to get that into practice more for what I do when I'm working with, with, with educators, not actually educators are fine. It's more of like the administration meetings and things. Yeah, I want yeah. to leave that in. And so maybe we use that as a, as a context to uh, another kind of question you were talking about here in terms of that sharing equity voice, it reminds me of, you had a, uh, a part in the book there as well about we need to separate the words engagement and communication as they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I would, would love for you to kind of peel that back a little bit and maybe we can do that through Lego Serious Play because that's a, probably a perfect example of, of how to disseminate those two things because I also think those two words so often get intertwined oh they do we're doing do. both of the things and actually they're you know they run parallel oftentimes but they're not one in the same yeah communications is well well it can be both ways but it's often one way it's yeah, telling yeah. people this is the project i'm going to do this is what we've all agreed it's not engaging yeah, it's one right. way and then you get you said nobody's responded so they must agree probably not yeah. <laughs> half haven't read it half disagree um the, the ones that do respond are probably the ones that do like it or really right. so you'll get responses from people who really like it or really hate it and everyone else is in the middle you've not they're, engaged them they don't yeah, care it's not affecting them that, just yeah. yet they're, they're like yeah, the ones yeah. that 
they proofread your email before you send it out. Hey, what do you think of this before I send it out there? Yeah, this project you're going to deliver in three years' time. I don't care. I don't care. So the only people that will come back to you are the people that are already your friends or the people who already hate you. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> not engagement. Engagement is about engagement with people and having two-way conversation. If you're leading change, they, you need to listen to other people. The best way to enact change, I, was, I had a session today and people were going, I haven't got time to do this. Before any projects, I would work out who all the people, the actual individuals I need on board mm. and try and understand, do they agree with what I'm doing and do they understand with what I'm doing? And then I would approach them in different ways. I'll spend a good three months just engaging with people and using different tools to go and listen to them. If you listen to someone about what they need, about the problem that you've, get them to identify the problem. Why is this a problem? What do you think we should do about it? You can deliver anything because you've listened to them and they will hear in what you deliver as something that they came up with as their idea. It doesn't have to look anything like what they said. Right, right. But you've got... (laughs) because it will have an element of what they said in it and they'll have forgotten what they said anyway but you've gone out they've told you what the problem is they've told you what the solution is and you've gone off and delivered something that will fix that problem but you've got to spend the time engaging with them going and pick up the phone don't have a meeting pick up the phone don't email pick up the phone or have you know email is not engaging no email is not designed for engaging it's not designed for collaboration trello boards aren't about collaboration because it's about the human interaction and people need to be heard as human beings and you need to understand each other so i think engagement is is that you wouldn't use you know and if so if if something's someone's not doing something and you say well how have you engaged with them so well i've sent them an email you've not engaged with them you've put the onus on them to get back in touch with you to resolve an issue that you've got so put all your effort into engaging with human beings as individuals and not stakeholder groups that are, you know, highly important or highly influential. Who cares? Yeah. They're not engaged. It doesn't matter how influential they are. Right. And I just think, yeah, I mean, and just doing that, I mean, everybody and their mother talks about the importance of relationship building. You know, we all say it, we see it everywhere and yet it still doesn't happen because we think you know, and that sending that email or, you know, I have a newsletter, like I put it out there. Yeah, read it. So and, 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 and I, I do that, like I do those things. So I'm not saying that as if I have a halo on my head going, I don't, but that idea of that engagement and just being proactive because by engaging and talking and hearing from people eliminates miscommunication, which I'm coming to believe, I don't have scientific proof on it. That's 99.9% of reasons why all problems exist anyways is because of miscommunication. Because we don't take time to do what you just said, engage with one another. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's communication is what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and that is like one of the biggest profound, I mean, there's a lot of things found in your man, that separation of just like, duh, that's, that's it. And it is, we think we don't have time to do it because we've got to deliver this thing. It's a bit like the hare and the tortoise tale, the Aesop's fable. You know, you spend the time engaging, you will soon beat the hare. Mm. You're, you're the tortoise, but put, invest that time. Don't worry about the project. It will happen. Because right. once you've got everyone on board and everyone agreed and everyone aligned, and this is where Lego Series Play helps, you can deli- you'll deliver it. It will just happen. It will happen really quickly because you don't have all of that crap to deal with whilst you're getting on with the project. And you don't get to the end of the project and find out nobody wants this thing that you've input because it's <laughs> because it's not answering their problems. 
The second thing, you, you, so you mentioned Lego says play at the start. There's one of one of the first things we teach, as you know, when we're doing the methodology, is you get everyone to build something simple like a tower or a duck. Yep. That is a real, you know, everybody knows what a duck looks like, but you will end up with 10 different ducks. Everyone interprets that in a very different way. Right. And that, to me, is a really good example of, so if I ask you to do X <laughs> and I ask you all to do the same thing, what are the chances that you're actually going to do that? Because you will interpret it in a different way. Mm. So I think that, you know, that bit of methodology is even if that's all you do and you're doing an engagement workshop is people will get that straight away. Right. So it's a right. really good, you know, it's a five minute, five minute yeah. exercise to do. Everyone build a duck uh, and explore what that what that means in the room. It no. will shift people's perception of of what communication and engagement is yeah and it's really hard to, to argue when you actually look around the room and see all the ducks i've done that activity in some shape or form many times and uh it it never ceased to to wow people in terms of like the diversity and such you know all having the same six pieces uh with a simple challenge and then yeah. you kind of hook, line, and sinker them into like, this is what we're talking about. You know, there is more than one right answer. And we do see the world different. Perception is reality, whether we like it or not. And how I, you know, and, and those types of things. And so I, I, I completely agree um, with the, all. Um, the tower one's a good one as well. We can get everyone to build a tower. It will give you an insight into the personality types. If you've got someone with a big ego, they're going to build a big tower. <laughs> they're going to use as many bricks as possible. <laughs> They're going to compete to have the highest tower. Yes. <laughs> if you've got someone who's creative, it's not even going to look like a tower. It's going to have levels and greenery and all sorts going on. Right. So it gives you, you know, and it's not about saying, oh, you're the ego guy, you're the pleasure guy. But you can then work with that. It's like, how can we bring in this level of, of creativity? How can we bring in this level of leadership that you've clearly got by, you know, wanting mm -hmm. to be the best and being out there and promoting your, your really, really tall tower? And well done for using all the bricks. But you can start to use those in a positive way rather than it being a clashy way when you get further into a project. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I do I do things with, with kids. It's not to say similar to that. What what I'll do is what I try to show them like the differences and and our pacing when we learn when we're learning something new for the first time. So I'll have them build um, the tallest tower they can, uh, but the pieces can't uh, connect. So they got like, they can't use the studs. So they'll actually, I take, and they just build a, and they stack it all up and they go really quick. And, th and then I have, we do another round, but they have to use their non-dominant hand. Um, and so now it's slower, they're more focused, yeah. and then it gets quieter. And we just talk about, have that conversation around the cadence of learning, right? There's things that we automatically assume we know how to do. It's pretty easy if I got my right hand and the challenges, it's, it's a little challenging, but it's not impossible. I can do whatever. But then, boy, if I have to kind of maybe tap in where it is more like, it is okay to slow down. And we're not just going to do at this pace for everything all the time. You know, it, there is this ebb and flow and we can move quick. And sometimes we got to go slow and um, just... I, I like to do that too, to help people just realize, like, I think so many times we're just, we live in a society where we, we got to know it now. We, we should just yeah. know it now. I should be able to look at one little video and be an expert and boom, away I go. And that's not, we know that's not how it is, but yeah. that's the pressures we face. So I want to be respectful of your time here. I could talk your ear off. We, man, there's just so much in the book. We didn't even get into change types and all that stuff. And boy, that was all good, but um, definitely people need to go check this book out. But as we wrap up, 
is, is there anything that you wanted to, to, to share that we didn't get a chance to share or that you didn't get a chance to share with the audience um, um, before we, we bring this to a close? I think really just on the book, you know, a change management book sounds really, really dull. <laughs> I don't read change. You know, when I wrote, I had to write a list of references that people could go and read. The publisher was like, what are the change management books that you've read? I'm like, I haven't read any. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> because you learn from experience and practice. Yeah. And the best way to learn is learn from failure. Get things wrong, learn from it, do it different next time. Um, you're not going to get that from a change management book that's a dry tome on and people that write those books never work either they just say right, right. towers. what do they know about people and blockers <laughs> so it's written you know it's, it's just to emphasize it's written in an adventure way you get to make all the decisions so the onus is on you to decide what you want did you die more than once yes curiosity you did yes <laughs> but you yes. learned from it didn't you, did, you did. <laughs> and hopefully it's quite it's quite humorous in the tales translate into different you know different sectors and and different parts of the world but it i think that the story the stories are all real but i think they're real for everybody you yeah. know the situation the context might change but the people in it the challenges we face they're all about people and learning how to navigate those people and blockers, I think, is the way the way to do it. And I think it's, you know, I think it will be a really fun book to read as a team, because that you're going to face all that that stuff, yes. and it's it's got the tools in that you can then use to apply. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's thinking change management book, it's not really. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Written I mean, in, I, that, in that sense. <laughs> and I love it too. I mean, I mean, I'm coming at it from an education lens versus say like a like industry and i was even looking at the tools going man this is what like I, we should be using these in some shape or form in the classroom with our kids as we're trying to create authentic learning experiences where if they truly are in the driver's seat these are the these are tools that that you know we can have the kids be in charge of trying to identify the problems that they want to solve as we're working through the standards versus like us up top lecturing so i even found it not just from like the education of as an educator, but then also even thinking about students. And so the application really is universal. And that's what I really appreciated. And and maybe that that is my one of my final questions that I want to ask you is, you know, as as we think about, as I think about K-12 education, we can't eliminate these problems, but what are some things that uh, you know, as as we think about working with our students, um, things that we should be considering weaving into to the classroom experience, you know, so they can be better equipped for this stuff. Because, I mean, the world is changing. That's duh, that's an obvious, you know, conversation here. But I was just reading a stat about how this generation is going to have 17 different jobs across five different career sectors on average. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this idea of change and working with people, like, it's different than back when I was a kid you know yeah so, yeah you, there's no no job or career for life, no. yeah I, I think um I think one it's a change it's it's you know it's aimed at change managers but everything we do in life is change so you, you can apply this at home trying to get your kids to do something or planning the family holiday it's all about change um and and we we see change as a separate thing and actually it's something we need to be able to manage across all because it's all about again it's about human interaction and behaviors and all of that because everything we're trying to do in life involves an element of change 
Um, I think the big thing, and I probably didn't say this um, when we were talking about the kind of the secret rules, but we always, and you probably do this in education, but you always tell a story before we do the learning. Mm. And I think that whether it's kids being educated or adult education, I tell stories before I teach people how to do a certain thing. Eddie's taught me this. And people might not remember the tool or the process that you've taught them, but they'll remember the story. And as soon as you say, do you remember the ice cream story? They remember what it was they learned. So I think stories have a huge amount to play, setting scenarios with stories and giving people, like in the book, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? And sharing the learning that comes out of that, because there'll be new ideas that come out. And I think that just would, that sets you up because you've heard all the different ways of dealing with it and you'll remember the ones that are going to work in that particular story. Do you, right. you don't need, you don't need a certificate from to say I'm a project manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you can write yeah. a risk log. Who cares? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> How are you actually going to manage that risk when it happens? Exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, using stories and scenarios and learning as you go and learning from the failure um, and doing that in a collaborative aligned way, I think, applies to anyone trying to learn anything, whether you're whatever age you are. And we're all learning all the time. So yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I mean, and and you're, you're you're modeling exactly what you say with the fables that are in uh, your book there as well. were were really great. And, and that the stories that developed as you try to figure out if you were going to be game over or continue to be successful in your work. And so I, I really, really appreciate your book. I, I hope more and more people check it out. I know I'll be sharing it and uh, promoting it as well, because I found it uh, a very, very thoughtful, engaging and uh, powerful read in the sense that it forced me to kind of recalibrate some stuff and the amount of amazing tools that you share to go along with it. So it's not like, hey, we should we should do change better. I mean, the stuff that you provide on your website, there's the resources and all that stuff. Um, you know, you, there's no excuse not to be able to move forward to uh, start to make some of that stuff happen. So, so Tammy, I mean, I talked about your website, but if people want to reach out and find you, all this will go in the show notes, links to your book. But for those that are listening in um, and maybe want to, as I always say, at the red light, while they're waiting for the green light, want to start following and start scrolling, which is, you know, I'm not advising, but I know we, it happens. Where can people find you, find your work and find the book and all that good stuff? So website is TammyWatchon.com and change, change slash ninja.com. Uh, cube.cc is where I do a lot of the work in the virtual world and where all of the tools that Eddie's kindly allowed me to produce in the book. So that's Professor Eddie Obeng. His TED Talks are worth looking at as well. And then LinkedIn and Twitter. I think there's only one Tammy Watchon in the world, so I'm quite easy to find. <laughs> there are sites sometimes who so I'm in a really shit name. <laughs> we'll just make no it one else has right? got it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to own and be proud of it. There you go. <laughs> but I think that one thing I've not said, which I think is really important, is this book is a result of failure. We don't allow failure into our language. We see it as a bad thing. I would not have written this book and done all of this stuff if I hadn't failed numerous times and had the game over sign. Mm. So I, it's creating a culture where failure is recognized and celebrated is key, I think. I love that. Um, and that's hard to do, but make failure a word that you use more often. Yeah, absolutely. So good. And I'm glad you, you threw that in there because I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people and so Tammy thank you so much for your time we uh, really thank appreciate you. it I can't wait to uh to share this with the world
Brilliant. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed that really. It's been a great conversation. Thanks. Yes, yes, likewise. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, living on that edge of chaos, going insane, listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos.